All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I am also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And we are having a much better time so far this year with Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, as I will note in a few minutes, the shares are up very, very strongly. Also, like to remind you that uh, I am also, or my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can sign up for both of those newsletters, my newsletter as well as Chen's at miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office in New York, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. want to thank each of you for listening to the show, and keep your questions, comments, criticisms, and praises Coming along at two questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four Taylor at gmail.com. Also follow me on Twitter at JTaylorMedia. Uh, I do want to thank our sponsors for today's show uh, for making this show economically viable. They are Avino Silver and Gold Mines and Metanor Resources. With respect to uh, important news for our sponsors, Metanor announced today that it is beginning to uh, a drilling campaign uh, to update the mineral resource on its Barry Gold project in Quebec, uh, from where the company had some limited production back in 2010-2011. The purpose of the 1,200-meter drill program will be to validate the higher-grade zones uh, at the Barry Gold uh, deposit and to uh, and to establish the extension of those zones as well, with the view to uh, high grade open pit mining, uh, and then presumably they'll be hauling the ore down to the bachelor mill, which they did uh, in the past. But uh, lower grades uh, economics don't work. Higher grades can uh, can be quite profitable. So that's what they're working on. The company does have about seven hundred eighty one thousand ounces of gold there so far uh, in various categories. Metanor had during, as I mentioned, 2010, been producing from that deposit, uh, but they do have to haul it a considerable ways uh, from the mine to the mill. So um, it, anyway, it's a, it's a potential for adding profits. Uh, also would note, as Ron Perry told us recently in an interview, that Bachelor Lake Mine itself uh, will be producing higher-grade material, and that should enhance uh, the company's pro- positive uh, cash flows uh, this quarter. Also, Avino Silver and Gold Mines uh, just reported today that um, they have uh, their quarterly production has gone up some 10% from last year uh, to 715,933 silver equivalent ounces. 
Uh, they are on their way potentially to reaching upwards to 3 million ounces of, of uh, silver equivalent ounces this year. And the big news for Avino is that it expects to start declaring commercial production from its Avino mine, and that really should help the uh, cash flows coming out of that project very dramatically uh, as they're reported through the profit and loss statement. Now, keep in mind that the company has only 38.5 million shares outstanding, selling at $1.23 earlier today, at least uh, in New York. It's a $47.3 million U.S. million dollar market cap. And keep in mind that the company will be soon, uh, in the not-too-distant future, start producing gold from its Braylorn high-grade underground mine in British Columbia as well. So I see Avino Silver and Gold Mines as a very undervalued stock. It's very steady, very stable. Uh, David Wolfen has done a remarkable job of keeping the share count down, and that's really good for long-term investors uh, as this company grows um, even if we don't get higher metals prices, which I'm anticipating we will, uh, the uh, the growth of this company uh, in several areas should really bode well for earnings going forward. Um, for gold and silver miners, it is indeed an exciting time. I mean, I can tell you uh, that if Michael Oliver is right and we're just starting to see the beginning of a bull market, it's going to be very, very exciting. So I'm going to give you just some examples from my own newsletter. We uh, have 18 companies that I cover that are producers of gold and silver. On average, so far this year, they're up 73.8%. And the biggest winner so far in that group is, believe it or not, Metanor Resources. Now, Metanor started out with a very low share price, but it's up 171% so far this year. Then we have 26 exploration stocks. They're up an average of 104.7% this year. The biggest winner is Silvercrest Metals, which is up 329%, and Sirius Resources up 253%. The portfolio as a whole, which includes everything in my portfolio, was up 31.6% as of yesterday. Uh, that's against a basically a break-even result so far for the S&P 500. Well, with so much excitement now in the gold mining sector... I hope you will consider subscribing to my newsletter, and uh, it's $69 for three months, $198 for an annual subscription. Uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun, and and I think uh, potential to make a lot of money if this gold market stays strong. And, uh, well, we're having Michael Oliver suggesting uh, that the first major resistance shouldn't come until we see about uh, $1,450 in the gold sector. He doesn't think that's the end of the bull market. He thinks that's just the first major resistance uh, levels. I should also mention in my newsletter, I also cover uh, some of Chen Lin's favorites. I keep up to date with Chen as best I can. Uh, his two biotech stocks are on my list, Sarepta Therapeutics and Sorrento Therapeutics, two energy stocks that Chen likes very much and doing very well as well, Pan Orient and Canical. Michael Oliver is usually on my show. He uh, was not able to be with me today, but let me just give you a little background on something he wrote this weekend regarding the gold sector. Weekly momentum is turning up, he said, and the massive surge that peaked in the second week of February, gold backed off and then made a marginally higher high at $1,280 in March. So while the S&P exploded, this inverse market did in fact correct but so more or less standing in place versus the price levels of that peak uh, weekly surge in mid-February. An impressive holding, Michael says, with regard to gold. Had it matched in reverse the S&P bear market rally, gold would now be back around $1,100. So he says you should really consider gold's stability here. It's very important. 
Now, with the S&P 500 eroding, breaking weekly momentum support, gold's we- gold weekly is taking its first positive steps the other way. It took out a prior rally and closed over the three-week uh, the three-week average z- momentum average zero line for the first time since mid-March. And then Michael said, and this was keep in mind this was last weekend. He says, I suspect that gold will see itself at a minimum in the mid-1260s this month. Well, it didn't take long to get there because just yesterday or earlier today, in fact, in London and here in New York in the early goings, it was over $1,260. So once again, Michael Oliver uh, has hit the nail on the head. And then earlier today, he put out another missive. Uh, He says it was titled Performance Smack in Face. And he showed that the gold shares, uh, I think he uses one of the ETFs, is up 65% so far this year, uh, and gold is up 19%. At the other end of the spectrum, the biotechs are down 19%, uh, and uh, S&P 500s, as we noted, basically break even. So uh, this is the tectonic shift that Michael's been talking about over the past year or so on this show. Uh, I think it's very important. Now, many of you might start thinking, well, we've had quite a run here in gold. Uh, it's probably about over. Well, I would suggest you not necessarily think that. Uh, Gold is an important monetary asset. uh, And as the world's fiat money system is in a race to the bottom with all the currencies trying to create more money and uh, and, uh, in a competitive devaluation situation, we need to only read the uh, Financial Times today and the Treasury Secretary Jack Lew's remarks to realize that that's true. And gold will be standing while all the rest uh, are basically declining in value. Gold shares have been so severely depressed. This is the second point I'd like you to consider. They have been so severely depressed over the last few years uh, that they are now just really coming from an extremely oversold or, let's say, enormously, ridiculously undervalued position to just a ridiculously undervalued position. So in my view, there's lots of upside for gold. I think this is just the beginning. I I say that uh, cautiously, but I believe it's true that this is just the beginning uh, for gold. Um, Now, let's uh, take a look at today's show. Robert McHugh and Eric Coffin uh, are back again, and for the first time, Scott Gibson will be joining me. Both Eric and Scott will be with me in just a few minutes uh, to talk about an event in Vancouver that I will also be attending, and that is the Metals Investor Forum to be held on May 14th and 15th at the Georgia Hotel in the lovely city of Vancouver. I will be a guest speaker at that event, uh, which I am really looking forward to attending uh, in no small part because of this turn in the gold markets. In addition to Eric, other newsletter writers who will be there uh, are Brent Cook, Brian London, and Gwen Preston. There will be quite a number of select gold and silver exploration and mining companies at this event. And the key, uh, not just any company is invited to speak here. It has to be a company that is invited by the newsletter uh, writers. Avino Silver and Gold will be there at my invitation. And I have a couple more of my favorites that I think may also show up there as well. In any event, as soon as we come back from the first commercial break, Scott and Eric will Uh, tell us more about this exciting event. It is free of charge for investors, so if you are in the area, a Vancouver area, or even if you uh, are not and can find the time and resources to hop on an airplane, I hope to see you there. Uh, You do need to uh, pre-register for this event, but that's easy enough. Just go to jtaylormedia.com, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Metal Investor Forum banner, and it takes all of less than two minutes to sign up 
Uh, I did it myself, and, uh, and it's just really quite easy. So go there, sign up. I hope to see you there. Well, as I said, our main guest uh, today is Dr. Robert McHugh, who has been with us several times in the past. Dr. McHugh believes the global equity markets are nearing a world of hurt. And he is equally convinced that we are at the start of a major bull market in gold. And he is very much in the camp of Dr. Uh, very much in Michael Oliver's camp that the next significant upside resistance for gold will be around $1,450. And if we see that kind of level, I have to tell you that's going to do wonders for the gold mining shares, the producers, but also the exploration companies as well because money uh, is already starting to flow into this sector but I think if we get to fourteen hundred dollars you're going to see a huge amount of money flowing into the sector we should see uh, a lot better prices still in the gold share markets so um, we do have to go to our first commercial break but don't go away because as soon as we come back I will be with Scott Gibson and Eric Coffin to talk about the Metals Investor Forum taking place in Vancouver on May 14th and May 15th don't go away we'll be right back Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have two friends of mine from the junior mining sector in Vancouver. These are friends that I've known for quite a few years. I'm talking about Eric Coffin and Scott Gibson. Eric's been on this show before, and um, his, uh, his bio is posted at the Voice America Business Channel website. Uh, Eric is the editor of the HRA, that's Hard Rock Analyst Family of the Publications, responsible for the financial analysis side of HRA. Uh, he's been with us quite a while and over the years, and um, I should say that to learn more about Eric's service, uh, go to hraadvisory.com, hraadvisory.com. Scott Gibson heads up Kidco Gibson Capital Corp and Beneath the Surface Capital Corp. They are uh, private investment firms uh, focused on investing in micro and small cap exploration and mine development companies that develop precious metal, base metal, uranium, and rare earth metal properties. Scott identifies companies with strong growth potential and investment, and he invests in them at strategic junctures uh, with the objective of earning significant returns on his investments. And uh, uh, I might add that uh, you can go to KitcoGibson.com, Kitco. 
ericgibson.com to learn more about Scott. I might add also that uh, Eric does much the same thing. Uh, and, and both of these gentlemen have been very successful over the years in, in picking some great stocks. And, of course, it really helps uh, when we have the wind at our backs, as we seem to have for the precious metal stocks anyway right now. Uh, so it's really a pleasure to have uh, both Scott and Eric with me. Thank you for joining me, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Thanks it's really so good. Really good to have both of you. And uh, Scott, let me start out with you. Um, you and Eric have headed up several of these metals investor forum events in the past. Can you tell our listeners what to expect, what they might expect there, uh, and what is the purpose of, of holding these events? Thanks, Jay, and thanks very much for having on your program. Uh, having known you for over 15 years and been involved in the markets that long, this is a real, uh, real pleasure. Um, the reason uh, we started out the Metals Investor Forum, really the purpose behind it, is to bring together expert newsletter writers, uh, predominantly their subscribers as an audience, and specific companies that were invited specifically by the newsletter writers. So uh, just to go a, a little bit further on that, you mentioned in your introduction a, a few of the speakers that we're going to have at the conference and uh, they uh, you know, may recommend a number of companies. And they have to specifically choose the companies that are going to exhibit based on not only are they under recommendation by their publication, but also that they believe there's something timely and the value proposition is there in terms of their stock, the share price, and the market cap, such that the audience should be exposed to that company. And then yes. they, they invite their uh, subscribers to come and attend. Uh, there's a few other uh, people that also are invited to attend, uh, like your listeners, and uh, then uh, the the companies. Uh, that's what makes it different. Is it's uh, it's really exclusive. Yeah, it's it's very important. I think because it's not just a matter of who has some money and can afford to uh, to to uh, to make the trip and and pay the fee to uh, to exhibit and tell their story. But it's it's companies that have to be uh, favorites or companies that the newsletter writers believe in. I think that's that that makes you different than a lot of the other inve- uh, investment forums or investment conferences that I've attended in the past. Um, Eric, with the metals prices rebounding so far in 2016, uh, can you talk a bit about the investor mood that you're sensing? You're up there in Vancouver. Both of you guys are. Uh, you're probably in a position to feel the sense of these of this turn in the precious metals markets much more than I am here in New York, where precious metals doesn't mean much of anything to uh, to the Wall Street crowd for the most part. Uh, how is the uh, you know how how are people feeling about this market, and how how does the turnout look in terms of investors at this uh, at this conference so far? And I think it's fair to say there's probably been about a 180 degree shift in the last three months. I mean, yeah. Coming into this year, I mean, everybody being beaten up for four years in, a, in the worst bear market in history, really, for resource stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, some of us, you, you and I included, thought things were about to turn, and, and indeed they've started to. And we've had a nice move in the gold price, but you've really seen, you've really seen a change in the tenor of the market, and you've, you've seen a lot more optimism. And one thing that's happened, uh, and I, you know, my experience through a few of these cycles is. is this usually happens faster than people think it's going to. It's when you get one of these turns and enough of the, the players in the resource sector convince themselves that they're in a new bull market, whether, whether or not they think there's going to be pullbacks is beside the point. When you, when you get that sort of change in mindset, you start seeing the interest in the buying move down the food chain pretty quickly. And I've seen some really impressive percentage moves off admittedly horrible starting prices for a lot of uh, sort of it started with the producers but it very quickly moved to developers 
into uh, sort of advanced exploration stories and drill plays. And, and one interesting note, and, and I think this gives me some comfort, I think, a lot of companies I've talked to that have been doing a lot of road shows throughout North America and Europe in the last month or so, they've all made the point to me that what's changed in their minds is the type of investor that is asking them to take meetings with them, the type of funds that are that are asking to uh, sit down and, 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 and do the due diligence in these companies. There's a lot of generalist funds talking to and trying to get into the sector now, which was absolutely not the case for the last four years. Outside of sort of hardcore gold funds and stuff, nobody wanted to hear about this. There's a huge amount of interest coming in from those, and that's a real sea change. And I, and I think we're going to see that. We're seeing it in share prices already, but, you know, yeah, you know, nothing goes straight up well with corrections and stuff, but I think I'm, I'm quite comfortable with the concept that in a new bull market and perhaps a major one has started in precious metal stocks. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that with the Metals Investors Forum. I mean, I can tell you without being, I mean, we're a little bit coy about numbers because we tend to do what the airlines do, quite frankly, and overbook. But I can I can tell you that with a little more than a month to go before this, the RSVPs are running substantially higher than they were at the last one. And, and the last conference, I should note, we had to sh- we had to shut down the RSVP list before the conference started. We ran out of we we ran basically ran out of seats, and I think that's probably going to happen again and faster. So that's just sort of a, a word to your wife to the wise among your listeners. If you want to RSVP, we're happy to have you, but don't wait too long to do it. Oh, good point. And uh, so, listeners, you can go right to Jay Taylor Media, click on. Uh, click on uh, on the banner near the top at the right. Uh, just click on the banner for this uh, investor forum, and it's a lesson. It's a thirty second uh, sign up for it. So uh, I would urge you to do that. As Eric was saying, uh, it it might go very fast. You know, it it certainly does seem good, Eric and Scott. Both of you, I would say that, uh, in fact, new money coming in and you know the general funds getting interested in the gold sector now because. The gold mining sector is such a small market cap if you take all the companies combined compared to the big markets uh, that, you know, the big New York markets, the global markets are just absolutely enormous. So a little bit of buying can really can really do wonders, not only for the metal, but for the shares, especially for the shares. I was just saying Michael Oliver uh, was quoting some of, looking at some of his statistics, you know, with gold up a little bit, the gold shares are up, I don't know, I think he was looking at one of the major ETFs up 65% or something so far this year. So it's, it's quite a move. Um, Scott, can you give us an idea of maybe some of the companies that, that are going to be there? Would you care to name any or, or just give us a sense of what kind of companies? Are we looking at producers? Are we looking at juniors? Uh, early stage juniors, uh, advanced stage juniors? Where, what kind of companies might investors expect there? Well, we, we span a range of uh, from early stage exploration all the way up to uh, advanced uh, near-term production. Uh, sometimes we will even have production companies that exhibit. Uh, the kind of companies we'll have uh, range from a group like uh, First Mining Finance. Uh, Keith Newmeyer started this deal. Mm-hmm. Keith Newmeyer, First Majestic and First Quantum. And uh, they've gone out and been aggressively buying uh, gold deposits, uh, gold in the ground over the last... Uh, year or so, and they're up to about 9 million ounces of gold, they continue to aggressively buy more. And they're just pooling those assets, keeping it in the company, and uh, plan on uh, you know, adding value to them further down the road once the gold price uh, appreciates. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end, uh, say, is Silvercrest, uh, a management team that sold a previous company 
uh, off to a major, kept a number of the assets and some cash, and they went out and uh, they're about to drill on some of those assets. And their stock has already moved from, from $0.15 cents to $0.70. Cents. Yes. Uh, so there's, there's a couple examples. Another one is uh, West Red Lake, uh, a stock that's been languishing for the last few years. Just recently came out with a resource calculation of almost 1.1 million ounces of gold in Red Lake District in Ontario. And uh, they are drilling with Gold Corp on another uh, potential Gold Corp look-alike uh, potential discovery, and they already hit on one hole. So there's a cross-section of a few companies, First Mining uh, Finance, Silvercrest, and West Red Lake, that will be attending our conference in the middle of May. Yeah, and I believe, uh, if I'm not, I, I think I'm correct on this, Eric, uh, I think you indicated that Avino Silver is, is going to be there, Avino. perhaps? Yeah, Avino Silver. Avino Silver and Gold. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, New Market Gold is going to be there. Okay. Uh, there's a couple of other guys that I know Brent's talking to, and I, I don't know for sure whether they've confirmed, but you know, odds are there'll be you know, two or three or four producers, essentially, mm-hmm. and two or three or four development level companies, companies like Kamenak that are that are basically moving resources forward through feasibility. And then, you know, we're we're intentional we intentionally have a selection of there'll probably be half a dozen or so uh, where you know what I would call drill speculations because we're all, we're obviously in a market again that actually cares about those, which which it didn't for four years. I mean we're we're basically trying to give, you know, subscribers and, and resource stock investors what they want, like this is, you know, based on the way stocks are moving and, and what feedback we get from subscribers, we try to select a list of companies that that lays out, you know, here's some things that have some real near-term potential for big gains. Here's some other things we just think are undervalued where, you know, it's no fire drill, you don't have to go buy it tomorrow, but, you know, take your pick, pick your poison, you know, do you want to right. do, do you want to go after one of these drill specs where there's going to be results soon or do you want right. to accumulate something that looks cheap? All right, Eric, we're going to have to let it go there because we are out of time. Uh, my engineer is telling me I have 30 seconds, so I've got to wind this up. Thank you both for coming on, Scott and Eric, and I look forward to seeing you there. And all my listeners, uh, all of you in the Vancouver area, please consider signing up. Go to jtaylormedia.com, click on the banner, and uh, we'll see you there. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go now, but coming up next after the break, uh, Dr. Robert McHugh will be with me, and uh, as I mentioned, he, he believes that we're at the start of a major bull market uh, in the precious metals, and he is in agreement with that 1,450 number that Michael Aller is talking about as the first major resistance. If he's right, I think uh, all the more reason to go to the Metals Investor Forum. Uh, we do have to go to break. When we come back, we'll be right back with Dr. Robert McHugh, so don't go away. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino has partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Robert McHugh. He's the editor of Technical Indicator Index Newsletter. It's an excellent newsletter that I've been subscribing to for quite a few years now. Uh, almost on a daily basis, he provides some great updates in the in the markets, his, his latest technical uh, tools that he shares with his subscribers, and I found them to be very valuable. Robert was uh, the founder of a regional bank outside of Philadelphia a number of years ago, uh, and that bank uh, was then acquired by a larger regional bank. bank and uh, But Robert continued to use the tools. He traded the bank's portfolio, uh, did investments for the bank, and has continued to use those same tools and expand on them after leaving the bank. And, uh, and so his service, I think, is one of the most valuable uh, technical services that I've ever seen. And Robert also provides uh, some good insights from a fundamental basis as well. So, uh, Robert, I'm really pleased that you could be with me again today. Thank you, Jay. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. Always good to talk with you. I should mention before we get into some of the questions that I have for you, tell our listeners that the place to go to learn more about your work is technicalindicatorindex.com, right? That is correct, yes. All right, you can go there and you can sign up for a subscription. Robert has a couple of different uh, levels of subscriptions. Uh, the one that I use is, is a more common one that is, uh, I think, very reasonable in price. And the other one is very reasonable, too, if you're in a position to take advantage of, uh, of his trading advice. Uh, in fact, I would imagine... Imagine a lot of your subscribers, Robert, get their get their investment back rather quickly with some of the uh, some of the results I've seen you talk about. Anyway, so anyway, uh, let's let's get into this market. I mean, it just seems like uh, the equity market is going to go up forever, Robert. And I, you know, you've made some predictions over the past few years uh, based on your Elliott Wave analysis and a host of other tools that you use. One of the most, I think, one of the most picturesque tools is the jaws of death formation in the equity markets. And as you document very thoroughly, not only in your new Newsletter, but a book that you've written, The Coming Economic Ice Age, these formations are usually very ominous uh, because almost always they seem to be followed by major downsides in equity prices. Uh, how are you seeing things now? I mean, we, it, you've been talking about this for some time. Equity prices don't seem to be going up a lot, uh, but they're not going down either. So how, what's your read on this equity market now? Well, the jaws of death pattern, the uh, huge megaphone pattern from it's actually almost 30 years old now, from the late 80s. It's still uh, staring us right in the face. It's still very valid, uh, and we are um, either finishing the top of it, or we have finished the top of it with the early, uh, with the mid uh, 2015 highs in the stock market. Uh, that may have been the top, and we're just getting warmed up and ready to roll uh, on on the downside. Every major average, almost every single major average, remains uh, below their uh, 2015 highs, and uh, a lot of the uh, recovery, the, uh, the the rally we've seen recently, is just a uh, a partial retracement of prior decline since mid 2015, and that's normal. Uh, markets never go straight down; uh, they never go straight up; uh, they zigzag, uh, and and what we have so far is a, a very possibly a uh, simply a, uh, a wave two correction a rally uh, that is uh, finishing off an oversold condition, uh, and 
And once this the market is over oversold or overbought, I mean, uh, the rally will end and we'll head back down. And that could happen very soon. Uh, so there are some indications that uh, there is a short term top at the very least uh, approaching uh, rapidly here. Well, the um, the Federal Reserve uh, and central bankers around the world want us all to believe that they are in control, and you know it seems as though whenever there's the equity markets start to go down, we hear from Miss Yellen and she's going to pump more money into the system, or she's saying, "Oh no, um, no, I guess we, I guess the, I guess the data isn't strong enough. We can't really raise rates yet. We're going to keep pushing money into the system for now." Uh, tomorrow never comes, it seems, Robert. But but the central bankers seem to think that they can just continue to pump money in the system and hold the system together, keep equity prices from plummeting. Uh, I, you're a skeptic about that. Yeah, I am because all it's doing is creating hyperinflation that they're not uh, uh, recording. Uh, you know, the price of food, the price of uh, all necessities has gone sky high. Uh, you know, and so, you know, medical care, food, uh, until recently, gasoline oil was way up. Um, the, the real estate prices are, are, are rising again, and uh, I, I think they're just creating another inflation bubble. Uh, I don't think that it's, it's showing up in wages. I don't think it's showing up in earnings. And so there's a squeeze happening where prices, the cost of living is up, and uh, the means to uh, deal with that cost of living rise is not right is not there. Uh, so a lot of people are feeling squeezed. I think uh, you know that's evident in the uh, in the political uh, race we're seeing right now in both both parties. How uh, disenfranchised uh, people are in both parties, and they're choosing to go in a completely opposite direction to what tradition has seen. And I think that's an evidence that people in the trenches. The everyday man is feeling that the uh, the Fed's policies have not included him or her, and that the, the those policies are failing, and it's leading to political unrest. And in my book, I mentioned that uh, one of the problems with uh, economic uh, decline and economic uh, uh, struggle is that it leads to political change, <clears throat> political unrest, and it can change our very way of life. And uh, I think the evidence is here in this political election. Uh, we have a socialist who may end up being the uh, Democratic uh, leader, uh, the, the nominee. It's possible. Um, that's incredible when you think about yeah. it. Uh, it. He's getting an awful lot of people that want him to give them free everything, free, mm-hmm. free services, free college, free this, free that. Somebody's got to pay the price. Somebody's got to pay the bill. And... Uh, People that don't understand uh, economics, which are a majority of people in our country, unfortunately, uh, don't understand. Somebody's got to pay the piper, and it's going to be in higher taxes, which is just going to squeeze the, the uh, standard of living even more. I mean, communism and socialism was tried for a long time, and, and it failed. And uh, it seems to be a very big move in that direction in the United States. And I think that's a statement that the Fed policies have completely failed our country and have not been capitalist-supporting policies. Well, it certainly hasn't been. You know, I have to ask, Robert, how can you have capitalism when you don't allow the price price recognition for capital itself? 
in the case of uh, quantitative easing, massive amounts of money and uh, obvious manipulation of the interest rates, which don't allow uh, capital, which is really the savings, that amount of income that's not spent, right? And I, it, it just seems to me uh, illogical to expect that you're not going to destroy capitalism if, in fact, you're not allowing capital to be properly priced. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, you know, um, you know, one of the points you made after the 2008-2009 debacle was that if they wanted to really give the economy a boost, rather than putting a bunch of money into the balance sheets of bankers to help cover up their sins, if they had taken the same amount of quantitative easing and provided what might be called helicopter money in some source in some sense put that money into the into the accounts of all Americans we could have really had an economic period of uh, a period of economic growth you still have that same view I mean it's too late to do it now yeah because it, the that's balance sheet it, it, it can't it can't handle it they already spent that bullet but yeah back in the day right after the uh, great recession of 2008 2009 had they given everybody uh, what I call a tax rebate, uh, an income tax rebate, where yeah. they refund everybody's uh, prior pay taxes. It, it, it's no different than the philosophy of lowering income taxes now to stimulate economic growth. It's putting money back in the hands of the everyday man and woman and businessman to apply that money in a, in a, that's in their best interest and that's in the and it allows them to reduce debts and to, uh, you know, take uh, make purchases and, and take business chances and expand businesses and so on. And that's the, the benefit of capitalism. It would have been such a boost to our economy. It would have been real growth. It would have been real building you know, and construction. And, you know, what I might, it's just an empirical observation, but the $5 trillion that end up in Manhattan, uh, it has created enormous superinflation in the in the in the uh, tentacle areas, the the surrounding extended areas of Manhattan. Well, for sure, uh, New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and, and even Pennsylvania real estate prices are ridiculous in some areas. They've gone through the roof. Uh, the cost of living in those areas is, is absolutely not uh, un- unbelievable. But I don't think the benefit of, the, of all that money going to Manhattan has helped anybody else throughout the rest of the country. It hasn't really reached out, and uh, and that was a false uh, false uh, economic policy decision by the Fed that I think is leading to the ruination of this country, and it may even end up changing this nation from a capitalist nation to a socialist nation. And like I said in my book, I warned that the policies that were being followed were, were going to lead to major political change to the point where our way of life, as we know it, would, could change drastically. And whether that happens this election or not, that is the trend, and it needs to be reversed, and something needs to be done to get our, our country. I mean, any business program in our country nowadays, almost every single business department, uh, educational, every educational institution at the college level, or university level, the economics are being taught by socialists. Yeah. The textbooks are socialists. Absolutely. The professors are socialists. I mean, I went to, you, you know, and I think you did too, Jay. I mean, I, I went to, to economics courses in several universities. I've had mm. a ton of those courses. And every single one of my professors was a socialist. Absolutely. I had, to butt heads, I had to butt heads with every single one of those professors 
to get my point of view, the capitalist point of view, across. And when I was a young kid, I didn't understand why we weren't gelling. And then as an older, mature man now, I say, oh my gosh, I was, I was being taught by socialists. And, right. I, and I'm a capitalist uh, American. And uh, the problem is that thinking has bled through the youth. I mean, the people who are supporting Bernie Sanders, uh, so many of them are, are young kids that are in college, and they're, they're buying into this socialist thinking, this socialist preaching that's going on in the business court. Right. And that's the problem. Uh, this, the whole philosophy of our country is being turned upside down. And I think the Fed had a big part to do in it because the policies of the Fed and the government during crises were not uh, capitalist policies to fix the problem. They went with a top-down, give it to, to the bankers, and... Uh, and I almost wonder if it was done on purpose to... Yeah, well, it's certainly... It would certainly seem that way to me, Robert, in that uh, Keynesian economics, which is, of course, I call it communism light, was really um, uh, really came out of the um, uh, out of out of an institution. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it now. Out of London, which had no differences, the, uh, had no differences uh, in theory with the communists. It was only how to get there, uh, and uh, the, instead of through the barrel of a gun, was to be. Uh, through an indoctrination process, and it certainly, as you point out, has been going on. I actually did have one professor, uh, I'm older than you, I believe, but it was going back to a few courses I took years ago uh, in, in the late 60s or early 70s with at Fairleigh Dickinson. I had an economics professor that was a free market economics professor, but after that, I agree, everybody has been... Uh, really socialist and and so on and uh, you know anti free market anti capitalism and we know from history that capitalism creates wealth so uh, you know I, I guess people want to take the easy way out Robert they want to they don't want to take responsibility for their own lives their own mistakes they want to basically have someone else take care of them and then blame anyone else uh, when things don't go well but in any event let's get back to a little it's good to cover these fundamental issues for sure and you and I are in complete agreement with that. Uh, but getting back to some of your technical work, because that's uh, that's the foundation upon which you, your service is based, um, and at least the tools and the practical side of it, uh, you talked a, a lot in the past about Hindenburg omens. Could you talk very briefly about what a Hindenburg omen in, is, and are there any on the clock at the present time? There are not any on the clock at the present time. That's a good thing. Yeah, at this moment it is good for the market that there is not one. The Hindenburg moment is a set of circumstances that sets up in the market from time to time. I would say on average, maybe we see one once a year, where um, when, it, when it arises, there's about a 25% chance that the stock market crash will follow within a three-month period. It's had a pretty good track record. It's about one out of four times. Uh, we did have one before the August crash of last summer, and we did have one before the January plunge uh, this winter. And so, um, you know, we keep an eye on that, tracking that. And, it, and it's a, it's a, it measures a condition in the market that is unstable, that uh, is susceptible to uh, an overextended uh, decline based upon any kind of black swan bad information that might uh, show up in the markets. We saw that in January. And January's plunge very severe. I mean, the uh, S&P fell almost 300 points. Uh, and lost, uh, you know, at least 15, almost 15 percent. That was a huge plunge in January. It shook up a lot of the uh, the market and, and eroded top. And uh, so that HO, the home Hindenburg home, it definitely uh, has, has been spot on in uh, giving us heads ups about uh, potential uh, 
short-term uh, plunges. Robert, you point, nothing right now. Robert, you note that um, there's a 25% probability of a crash, and you define a crash by what? How, what decline? 15%? 15% or more decline within a three-month period is how I define it. Okay, so there's a 25% probability that one will follow within three months. Have we seen any major crashes take place without Hindenburg Omens in the last number of years? Uh, no, no, I haven't seen one. I mean, there, there might have been a, one that came close to that 15% level. Uh, I can't remember exact year. It might have been three or four years ago. But, uh, no, when you when, when you don't see a, a Hindenburg Omen, we're usually generally pretty, pretty, pretty safe uh, ground for the moment. Okay, Robert, one of the things that I've really been impressed with your work over the last number of months anyway, uh, you have a couple of tools that seem to be working very, very well. Uh, well, one in particular called the Key Trend Finder that has really pointed people in the right direction of the stock market. Uh, you just mentioned we had that big loss, uh, that big decline uh, earlier this year, and I think your people made a lot of money on the short side of the market. Talk to us a little bit about the Key Trend Finder. What is that, and and um, and what is it telling us now? My key trend finder indicator is a combination of three indicators uh, in combination when they all have a sell signal. That is a combined trend finder sell signal for the market. Uh, the the lead indicator there's one that's a little uh, more uh, uh, heavily weighted and more valuable than the other two is what I call my purchasing power indicator. These indicators are measuring short term momentum. And they're pretty good at, at identifying uh, short-term trends, uh, moves that could last anywhere from a week to uh, six weeks and following one of these signals. And yet, like you said, they have done a really good job in identifying uh, uh, movements over the last um, well, decade, really, since I've had them. Uh, so uh, right now, we uh, we just got a new cell thing with us. So I'm, I'm on high alert. Uh, that there could be a short-term decline in the market over the next uh, one to six weeks. Yeah, I think uh, your key trend finder, I think there are three different components to that, and all three have to be in agreement to give a directional signal, right? Yes, if the the two of them disagree with the third, then that's a sideways neutral signal, so uh, we we don't consider it a um, high momentum uh, trend probability at that point. And and it's been it's been good in both directions of the market, uh, so that yeah. you've made money in, on, on the upside as well as the downside. And uh, in and fact, buy, I've you know, we got a buy signal in mid February on this indicator, and uh, it rode most of the rally we've had in the last uh, six weeks. And just now, you've gone the other the other direction. I believe it was neutral, and now uh, on the weekend, I saw that you had. Uh, you know, it, it was giving your key trend finder was giving you a negative and go sh- uh, just take a short position, perhaps, or at least be cautious, I guess. Yeah, at least be cautious. I mean, uh, people have to decide for themselves if they want to be aggressive traders or they want to just, uh, you know, be cautious when the sells are on and then maybe they go back in the market when the buys are on. Um, it's just a uh, another contributing factor to their own decision making process. Uh, of what they want to do with their own portfolio. There's many other things people need to look at when they make decisions in investing and trading. Uh, like another indicator I use uh, that I really have found very helpful are bearish and bullish divergences that um, measure the price direction of price versus an opposite reading in uh, underlying underlying uh, strength of uh, breadth in the market or volume or uh, what I call demand power, mm-hmm. 
So uh, when I see these kind of divergencies, along with my trend finder indicator, when they all line up, that's a pretty good high probability moment to uh, to take a position, either getting out of the market or, or going in, in a direction that you're comfortable playing. Right. All right. Well, in summarizing then, it, with respect to the equity markets, I guess a longer term, medium to longer term, it looks very bearish for you. Short term, it's a wait and see, day by day kind of thing. Yeah, I think short term, I do see a decline over the next six weeks. Um, but, but long term, I, I definitely see a, a major uh, decline in the markets coming for sure um, in a very, very big way that could last several years. When it gains momentum is, is up in the air at, at that moment. At this time, I, I can't tell you exactly when the high momentum drop in prices will happen, but it's set up for that. Okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about gold in the in the time that we have left. You seem to be quite bullish on gold at this point in time. What are your technical tools telling you that that cause you to uh, at gold favorably now? Well, just tracking an Elliott wave mapping for gold. Um, I'm very bullish. Uh, because uh, it looks like uh, from September 2011 until uh, just last uh, in the last year, uh, we completed a corrective, what I call correction wave two down. Um, it was a lengthy one, but it's correcting an, an enormous bull market that's been going on for, for decades. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, we peaked around 1900 in gold in September of 2011, and then we worked our way lower and it was really a, a very mild correction in the scheme of things. It took us down about um, maybe 40%, something like that, from, from the highs. Uh, so it retraced about 40% of the move up, the prior move up. Mm-hmm. And that's a healthy correction. It worked out some overblock conditions. It kind of shook out some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, players that weren't really serious about uh, hanging in there with gold. And, and now we're all set up for a really nice long-term rally. And I think gold is going to move in the opposite direction of the stock market. I think there is a, an inverse relationship there. And you look at the fundamental, uh, once the stock market starts uh, dropping and the economy continues to decline, which I really believe will happen, um, they're going to have to, the policy of the Fed will be what they typically do, which is pump more money in the economy. And that's creating inflation and devaluing the dollar, and that's good for gold. So I think that gold has a very bright future, and it's going to rally very, very high, and maybe it could reach 3000 3, over the next 10 years, uh, possibly in the next five years. Robert, uh, gold inverse to the stock market. Gold is generally inverse to the dollar, yet um, you've been generally pretty bullish on the dollar. Um, do you still see the dollar in bullish terms? Do you see the dollar getting stronger vis-a-vis other currencies? And if so, um, do you see a, a breakaway perhaps then between gold and the dollar uh, from that, rela- that inverse relationship that's been pretty well documented over a long period of time? Uh, I think the dollar is going to decline in value um, at some point here. Uh, as they print more of them to deal with a coming financial crisis, uh, that's going to devalue the dollar. And so gold will end up in an inverse relationship with both the dollar and the stock market, and both the dollar and the stock market could decline together. Um, that's kind of how I see it shaking out, at least oh. here in the United States. All right. Well, look, um, in terms of... Um 
the the uh, the target prices for gold we have a technical analyst on my show almost every week this week he's not with us but michael oliver uses different tools and you you use i think for the most part he uses a what he calls his momentum structural analysis uh, it is a momentum based tool proprietary tool that he's used but his his view is that we are looking at uh, he's turned very bullish on gold and he's he sees something like uh, 1450 as sort of the key resistance level before it runs into any trouble, then he thinks that's not the end of it. I think he uh, he could see the kind of three thousand dollar number you're talking about over over um, the next couple of years or so, several years perhaps. But uh, fourteen fifty does that look like as, as some kind of a level we might be shooting for in the in the next year or so? Yeah, I think the rally's going to be uh, stair step up down up down, but higher each time. And fourteen fifty, I'm just looking at a chart here. Uh, that is a uh, resistance point. Uh, that was part of the, it's really the midpoint of the correction from September 2011 until uh, it bottomed in late December in, in, in 2015. The midpoint of that correction was at the 1450 level around 2013. So that would make a nice resistance uh, level for stock or for gold to uh, reach stop and then correct from a little bit and then continue its upward push after it does a correction from that level. All right. When with respect to gold shares, I know that you also uh, you look at the HUI purchasing power indicator and also the HUI thirty day stochastics. And if those two are in agreement, then you're bullish on the uh, on on gold shares. How how are they looking now? How how is how are gold shares looking to you right now? Well, that that indicator that trend finder indicator consists of two component indicators, and the one which has I think a little better credibility than the other is on a buy from last week. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, I'm watching this support to turn to a buy. It's very close to hitting a buy. Maybe we'll see that today since it's up today. Yeah. Miners are up to um, So I'm looking for a uh, short-term rally in mining stocks over the next uh, six weeks along with gold. They tend to correlate together, um, of course. So, uh, so that's kind of exciting in the short run for gold and miners. All right, very good. One more question. I know you've been quite bullish, I believe you've been quite bullish on U.S. Treasuries. Uh, it makes a certain amount of sense because, you know, it's, it's as long as people still have confidence in the dollar, uh, you know, it's, so it's a risk-off trade, right? And people go to the dollar, and to a certain extent, I think we're seeing more of that into gold now than we did in the past. But are you still relatively bullish on U.S. Treasuries? Yes, I am. Just as the economy goes down the john, there's going to be a flight of quality. Gold is going to be one safe haven, and another is going to be the U.S. Treasury. We have the strongest military on Earth, uh, as long as we do, um, that it's going to be a place that people seek out for safe haven. Uh, and almost every single financial crisis we've had over the past century, um, when uh, when people get scared, uh, the Treasury goes uh, goes up in value, interest rates uh, fall. Yeah. And, and so I don't see why that would change at all over the uh, coming uh, several years when I think this crisis is going to manifest itself again. Oh, very interesting. It's certainly, uh, I'm not sure that I'm happy about seeing us need a massively strong, aggressive military to, uh, let's say, perhaps enforce the dollar, the petrodollar. I mean, uh, on that topic, one quick one. Do you you look at uh, oil uh, closely now? And if so, what are you seeing for oil? Because to me, it's all about the petrodollar and the United States. And ever since we went off the gold standard, we had to, Kissinger arranged uh, with Saudi Arabia to buy, to to demand dollars for the sale of 
oil. And of course, now we're seeing Russia and Iran going in the other direction. They're not taking dollars any longer. They're selling their oil to China. But what are your technical charts showing you uh, on oil, if you're following those closely now? Well, I have a long-term chart for oil I'm looking at right now. And uh, I think oil is bottoming. I think that oil will uh, has a real strong up leg coming, uh, probably in 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 uh, lockstep with the coming economic decline in stocks. Um, I, I think there's, there's some kind of crisis coming. If you look at all these different charts and these different markets, it's painting a picture of a, of a crisis, and it may involve military military crisis. There may be uh, political uh, and military uh, events, but, you know, oil looks like it's, it's bottoming out of the... It's been in a rising trend channel I have here since 1990, and it's just reached the bottom trend line. Interesting. Uh, it's a well-defined trend channel. Uh, it, it peaked at the top of that trend channel in 2009, and it's just bottom hit the bottom of that trend channel uh, the last uh, month or so, and uh, bounced off of that, and it started up again. It's got over 40. Uh, and so I think, uh, well, this chart, I mean, it's a ridiculous number, but if it hits the upside boundary of that trench now, I mean, we could see $200 a barrel oil. Wow. Uh, I'm not calling that anytime soon. That, that, that would take years to develop. But the trend would be in that direction, and that tells me there's going to be problems, um, you know, with uh, with a geopolitical uh, environment in the world uh, for that to happen. So. Yeah. Be interesting to see uh, how that works out. Well, it certainly will be interesting. Any anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today, Robert? No, I think we're in a weird year, you know, with political uh, election, and there's a lot of uh, manipulation by the Federal Reserve. And uh, you know, I don't know. They may maybe they'll hold off uh, letting things fall apart for another ten months, get past the election. Um, everybody's got an agenda. They've got a lot of manipulative skills. Absent some kind of a black swan out of the out of the, out of the surprise out of left field military event uh, globally, I would imagine that this could be a muddle along type year where we go down quite a bit, then we go back up and down, get past the election. At that point, maybe we'd be in a position where uh, what the charts are predicting, forecasting, will finally uh, occur. I mean, could it happen before then? It could. But, uh, you know, I just think it's one of those years where we have to be careful in our investing and trading because there are outside powerful forces that have an agenda that want to make sure that um, their, their, uh, their agenda gets achieved. And, and in some cases, that's the status quo. Yeah, for sure. No matter what it does to the masses, I guess, it doesn't, uh, they could care less probably. At least it seems that way uh, to a great extent. Well, I want to thank you very much, Robert for being with us again. Always valuable having you on, and I want to remind my listeners again, it's technicalindicatorindex.com, technicalindicatorindex.com. Robert writes prolifically, sends things out every day, and if you don't have the time to read it, he provides an excellent executive summary, which is what I usually rely on most of the time, and then take a peek at his uh, numerous charts, um, always, almost every day. Always very great to have you, Robert. You're you're uh, really a blessing, and we want to thank you for sharing your time with us once again. Uh, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate that, and I always enjoy speaking with you. Always good to have you. We'll have to do it more often. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week's show. Keep your eyes peeled on your inbox uh, for the announcement of next week's guest. Right at this moment, I don't have that guest yet, but it will be somebody good. I can guarantee that. Be with us next week. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 